Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Third Degree Burns Coffee and Comics. We're here early in the morning on a fine Sunday morning to uh, just kind of talk about what's going on in pop culture and talk about anything that we uh, particularly care to talk about. So basically it's a shoot in the S. I'm not going to say that other word because we get it bleeped out. Not that we're trying to monetize or anything, but, you know, hey, you know, for future's sake. Anyway, I've got sitting here with, I'm Brian Hughes, by the way, and I got here sitting with me across the country. We've got Kirk Greenfield over on the East Coast. Good morning. And then we got John Hyatt over on the West Coast. Happy New Year. And I'm stuck here in the middle in Texas. And you know what? That's fine by me, because it has been wonderfully nice weather uh, since since before Christmas. Um, we, we've had it basically from the high 30s to the low 70s, and you know just basically going doing the seesaw on that little temperature frame. Uh, the last few weeks, I've not had to turn on air conditioning or heating for that matter that much in our house, so it's been been really nice. Now, how's it going for you guys? And while uh, you guys are talking about that, I'm going to open my Mountain Dew because I don't drink coffee. <laughs> And I need I'll my caffeine. more caffeine in your Mountain Dew than in one sip of my coffee. <laughs> no, I mean, coffee actually has uh, about twice the caffeine that Mountain Dew has. Mm. It's crazy. I mean, yes, I, I sit there. It is man, crazy. I, I, I thought it was not so much. No, it, it is. And, and coffee and tea. And tea is also, a lot of teas are really strong in caffeine. People don't seem to realize it. They always think of it as a soothing thing. But it's got that stimulant in there. Well, I have tended to cut caffeine out of my uh, diet. I used to drink Pepsi, 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 Pepsi all the time. But uh, after having a kidney stone and thinking that perhaps that was related to it, certainly the sugars um, were involved in it. I I have pretty much cut out um, Pepsi cold turkey um, and rarely will have one if I need a little pick-me-up like when I'm driving or if I'm um, you know, someplace I'll have a half cup or something like that. But mm. uh, for all intents and purposes, I've cut it out, and I've never been a coffee drinker, which is surprising because my father always was. Mm. And as a kid, he would have me run back into the house and uh, fix him a half a cup of coffee or have uh, my mom fix him a, a cup of coffee uh, so I could take it back out to his wood shop where he was <laughs> working, usually in the fall or, or, you know, the winter or something like that, just to get him warmed up. So I... I have experience with coffee, but I've never experienced coffee. Follow what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, you're you're a stronger person than I am in that regard because uh, I mean, I've got uh, you know like a, a little bit of a caffeine addiction, but now I think it's more just uh, it's not so, not so much. Hey, there's a lot of noise going on in the background there. Are you, uh, my end. Okay. A- anyway, um, yeah, I was, I was just saying, you know, it's like I. I I used to drink like Mountain Dew all the time. That was just the drink of preference. And like you were Pepsi, Pepsi, Pepsi. I was just Mountain Dew all the time. And I've had a number of kidney stones. I mean, I, I could honestly say I've had the area of a thousand kidney stones since the oh age of 18. God. And um, I have only, you know, I, I've been so much luckier than most people that suffer them. Now, the pain, it happens. Um, and that is some of the worst pain a person can ever go through. A man, a man can ever go through. I, I won't. That's say that. what I'm told. Yeah. Um, and now I've I've talked to women that have had babies and kidney stones, and they they said the kidney stone was worse. I've heard that too. But I, I I think that it's just 
I think it's worse on them than it is on us just based on how the systems go. So I, I'd still defer to a woman in the pain department. I'm not going to ever yep. you know, try to say that, that, that what I've gone through is worse. But, uh, you know, I mean, I've, I've had it easy and it hasn't really caused any serious, uh, you know, it hasn't caused any issues with me going forward. I've talked to my doctors and I said, I'm worried about my kidneys. And they say, don't, your kidney function is fine. And they said, the only thing you really have to worry about is a scar tissue that can build up in your tract there and maybe, you know, slow things down for you. And, you know, I've, ha I've had other friends who had to get basically, as they say, roto-rooted out because of scar tissue and such. Um, I, I haven't had that, had that need. So I, I don't know, maybe I'm doing something else right. But uh, moving on from kidney stones, we can... <laughs> I don't wish anybody ever yeah. <laughs> to experience the kidney stone. So what, what do you drink in the morning now? I mean, what is, it, what is your, your wake-up drink? I don't really have one because one, I'm not usually awake in the morning, and two, um, you know, I guess this uh, cran apple uh, juice on the rocks is what I have for what you would call lunchtime, which is, in effect is my breakfast. Yeah. Uh, I don't have anything in front of me right now, which is really mm. kind of odd. I don't know why I didn't grab something. So. Yeah, I can't go without having water or something around me to to drink, and I drink a lot of water. Um and that, I think that's part of what helps me is that I just always keep my system flushed and uh, yes. my salt levels are like right at the bottom of, of the acceptable levels. And so I'm constantly eating food that's got a little bit more salt in it because I, you know, I can flush it out of my system so much from drinking so much water. But, uh, that, and I, I'll, I'll drink like a sparkling water and I'll put a, a shot of, uh, lemon juice in there. And that's also really good for, uh, for, for diabetics, uh, cinnamon and lemon are good things for diabetics to consume to control their blood sugar. Interesting. Uh, so I take a cinnamon supplement every day, and yeah, I get the lemon juice. Anyway, moving on from that, there's been a lot of stuff that's gone on in the last couple of weeks, uh, some some interesting things, and we haven't podcasted that much. Our, our, the holidays had all of us going in different directions, doing different things. I've been flying around the country for my company, and... Um, just, then just doing the whole family thing with uh, all seven different parts of my family because there's so many of us. And then last night, for the first time in a couple of years, I finally got together with my poker buddies, and we had a poker night last night. And guess who was the big winner? How much did you lose? I didn't lose anything. Now, wow. uh, my son, my, my near 16-year-old son joined us for the first time. And right out of the gate, he won the first hand. And everybody's like, oh, my gosh, this kid's serious, you know. <laughs> and over the course of the night, he wound up losing everything he had, which was, uh, of course, uh, provided by me in the first place. So, mm. so you know, I lost uh, 20 bucks off of him, but I wound up uh, walking away with the most winnings that night. And I basically got back the money he lost but basically i broke even now if he hadn't been there i would have been you know a big winner anyway but still uh it was it was the last hand that got uh that, that really saved my bacon because we did a, a hand of uh seven card stud no peak and um are you familiar with that game no no are, are you familiar with seven card stud no Okay, I, I I don't want to explain it then because it's it it is but it was a wild game, 
and uh, I just, you know, it's like the pot got really, really big, and I was uh, got the a show my hand, and it was a really good hand, and I was sitting there looking at the other players that still had cards to play. Now they don't know what their cards are. So to bet into that is, you know, an iffy situation. And so I just made a big bet that nobody else would want to match to sit there and see the rest of their cards and got everybody else to fold. And uh, that was that was a, a like a big hand, but it did revolve a lot on luck. But then that's part of what poker is. It revolves a lot on luck. All right. Uh, so did you guys do anything interesting here recently, John? Uh, well, oh yeah. Uh, so um, over the holidays uh, in San Francisco, there's this um, event called the Great Charles Dickens Fair. It's like a Ren Fair for the Dickens era, and it's at the Cow Palace in San Francisco in Daly City. And uh, they take over these two warehouses and they completely deck it out like Victorian England. So all of the booths that come in that are selling things and food and whatnot and the stages, it all looks like you're walking through Victorian England uh, or Victorian London, you know, Charles Dickens era London. And people are all dressed up and all of the uh, participants are dressed up. They have stages and performances and singing and carols. And um, some of the, a lot of the people who will come and attend it uh, are dressed up as well mm -hmm. and uh, they have actors or you know uh, uh, historians and uh, um, reenactors that go through and they they portray characters as they're going through so you got chimney sweeps and and then uh, there's some actors that definitely are portraying roles from the the book of Christmas Carol so uh, occasionally you'll see Scrooge walking through the streets with one of the ghosts of Christmas. <laughs> and <laughs> it's uh, it's really it, it was a really fun day uh, and it was raining like crazy. Cats and dogs. So we were inside oh, and that was good. Well, we were all inside. Yeah, so it, it was fine. Uh, uh, yeah, it was a, that was that was our big excursion. That was our our. Uh, like our Christmas present to each other was a getaway for that and to experience that. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Hmm. Did you get any real cool Christmas gifts? Uh, well, that was our Christmas gift. Hmm, okay. uh, we're, we're doing experiences. So uh, rather than things. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't look into any comics or anything like that. So I um, we don't have anything like that to uh, report out on. Hmm. Okay. Well, how about you, Kirk? Oh, I'm trying to think. Uh, nothing uh, too major came my way, although there were a few things. I've, I've drawn a blank. Uh, just got a nice, real uh, large dress shirt. I needed one. My wife just picked up the other day from J.C. Penney's. That may not s seem like anything uh, terribly thrilling to you, but in fact, in my line of work, uh, I have to be dressed to the nines every day, so oh, that yeah. is something. Uh, my son bought himself a used car just the day before New Year's, which is a major step for him and for the family. Hmm. Uh, he has not taken possession of it yet a week later, as they're doing some small touch-ups, like finding another hubcap and, you know, redressing a couple of uh, scrapes on the, the car. But uh, that's that's been a major... Uh, yeah. How, uh, how old is your son? He's 26 in another 20 days. Ah. 
And what kind of car did he buy? I gotta ask. I think it was a Toyota Corolla, a blue one. I didn't get to see it, but he shopped with my wife, and they settled on it. And I think they got a pretty good deal. So uh, that's the uh, that's the new news. Um, I don't know if I'd mentioned it before, but we picked up a kitten from a uh, adoptathon from the Humane Society about a month or so ago. And so this little boy cat has doubled in size. And last time we were recording it, uh, hopped up on the table and brushed the, uh, yeah. the uh, crane support. <laughs> here. I can probably replicate it here. Uh, anyway, so it's not around this morning, but uh, that's a new addition to our lives. And it has given us a lot of joy. It, said it explores everything and insists on teething on things and, uh, and nursing on your neck while you're asleep and just uh you know whole lots of fun never had a dog in our family but uh we've had a couple cats over the years and uh, my daughter decided to pop for that so we have one now that's i guess the news I'm trying to think anything comic related um john you had posted something the the other day um on our private little um uh, text loop here something about uh, novelization of days of future past i think that was tim yeah that was him that posted i thought john had maybe i'm confused because he said he said something and he signed it um i thought he was talking to me and i was like no he's just asking if anyone had read it uh, because he's thinking about reading it and he wants to do he kind of wants to do his one man review man on the street review i guess yeah. Of, of that, so we're looking forward to that. I when yeah. I first saw it, I thought it was just you know the trade paperback, and I said, oh yeah, I think I perused it once or twice, being sarcastic, and then realizing, oh no, this is a novelization. So now I feel like an idiot. Well, I, was, I was thrown <laughs> by his his statement. I thought he was asking me something about it, and so I replied like, uh, I'm up for it, but I don't know anything about it. So, hmm. Yeah, no. So I mean, it's it's apparently a good novelization of it. I don't know. In fact, I want to take a look at that real quick and see if uh, if Claremont wrote it or if someone else wrote it. Uh, based I think it'd be much richer than the comic. Uh, you know, the visuals are great. Don't get me wrong. This is a burned podcast, so to speak. Um, but I would think a skillful writer being able to expand background and details and flesh things out could make it a very interesting read well it's it's a gripping story to begin with this is so weird okay so this this is a paperback novel it's written by alex irvine based on the works of chris claremont and john byrne and i'm so surprised that claremont himself didn't write it so he could sit there and just fill every page with text (laughs) why doesn't claremont write novels I mean, he's so prolific. He's so, and he just loves to to fill up the pages, fill up the art it, with with. Text. It probably it probably would be the length of War and Peace. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Chris got a hold of it. Yeah, he's a wonderful writer, but yeah, he would really have filled out. Probably, <laughs> probably would have been better, or not better, but probably would have been interesting to see if he would put in things that he had in his head or things that have come to his mind since then that he could explore more in detail in that world that would have been interesting yeah well i think he has written a novel um i about the time that john byrne put out fear book yeah there was another one that came out that i think chris claremont wrote and one of the criticisms was the main character felt like kitty pride just with a different name 
I, you know, First Flight, is that the name? It's something like that about a female pilot who eventually kind of has to transmute into a half-cat, half-human. Uh, I think it's called First Flight. We'll have to dig that out and check. Yeah, I was, I I was pulling it up on Amazon trying to see, but someone's trying to um, call me, and I had to let them know, hey, I'm recording. Um, so let me see. I want to say it's. I, I want to say it's first flight or something flight. Um. Anyway, I, I vaguely remember that because yeah, at first that flight, point, the high one front. put out the book and then the other one put out the other book, and there was some comment saying that there was a competition between the two. Well, yeah, I, I it, it is first flight, um, and the brass called it by the. Book mission, Lieutenant Nicole Shea was too green to know that in space there is no such thing. Okay, I'd be it. But yeah, from the writer of the X-Men, Chris Claremont. So yeah, uh, First Light, you can get a Kindle version for two ninety nine, or a paperback version for about seven fifty to $13. So, you know, uh, if you are a fan of Chris Claremont, it looks to be about 760 pages. I'm kidding. I have no idea how big No, it it's not that long. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Now, I, you know, I, um, I was uh, very lucky this Christmas. Um, uh, wh- one of the things my family got me was a Funko Pop of Galactus and the Silver Surfer. Oh, very, cool. very Kirby-esque, but in the original colors, the purple and, and silver, yeah. And it is huge. I mean, it's like a foot and a half tall, Galactus is. So, um, and, you know, like like um, some of those writers and artists, he's got a big head. So, <laughs> it's it's uh, really cool. I, I'll have to put a picture up on the, the group page so you guys can see that. And another thing I got, if you've been on our group page, you've probably seen it. Um, my, uh, my nephew, Terry Lee and his wife are both uh, big into arts and crafts and they put together a third degree burn neon light over wooden cork board. And it is the logo that Tim, uh, Tim Elliott created for our, our, uh, podcast and it's brought to life and I've got it hung up in my uh, office here right now, blazing away, uh, there so behind you me. Turn it on when you're recording. I keep it on all the time. Ah. I mean, it's just that kind of cool. So, uh, yeah, I, I had a, and that's just the, the tip of the iceberg as far as Christmas went, but I'm not going to go into the other stuff. That was just a cool, cool thing. Um, so, uh, but yeah, it was, it was a great Christmas here. Uh, my, uh, my nephew, uh, Rhett and his wife, Jessica, welcomed their first child, uh, two days before Christmas. Ah. And uh, they named her Liliana. Not Ilyana, but oh. Liliana. Interesting. Yeah, and so uh, that's that's good news. And the other good news, and I, I don't know if I've shared this with anybody, but uh, my uh, wife and I are going to be grandparents as of next, oh, next scared month. Oh, me. <laughs> no, no, no. Wow, uh, congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah, her oldest boy, Michael Daniel, or Michael D as we call him, and his wife, they live up in Annapolis, uh, are expecting uh, next month. And, and it's a sad thing because we're not going to be able to go up there uh, to, to see the child. So I don't know when we're going to get to see the child. So that's, uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, congratulations 
uh, are in are in order there for them. And uh, I and, guess that makes me officially old man. But I mean, yeah, I, uh, we're on I this podcast. We're all old men. <laughs> now you get to go into that cool stage of. Uh, spoiling children and having all the fun and then sending them home for everything else. But you get to be the cool one now instead of the... And, and the, I, I, get a, I get a new identity. I get a new identity. Yeah. I, but I don't know what it is. Like, if I'm going to be called some one of those odd names like uh, Teapaw or... You know, I mean, I, uh, well, there's so many you different... You can choose that. What do you want to be called? I don't know started, but... Because oh. I know my... my uh, I think my brother... Uh, who's become? Who's now the grandfather? My oldest brother Scott is. Uh, it's a Greek one name, Opa, and mm-hmm. I don't know why the, 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 that was selected because, well, Rhett is of course of, of our blood, and we're you know basically sixty six percent Norwegian or Scandinavian, and um, then we've got you know I mean then the rest of it is like European, and then his wife is is of uh, she's Latina. And I think both her parents are, are Latinos, you know. So I don't know where this Greek word came into the situation, but there it is. He's Opa. So uh, Opa is also uh, northern and out of the Germanic. Okay, um, well then, well. yeah, that, that, then that would probably make some sense. Uh, anyway, so yeah, it's good news all around here at the Hughes household. So you can you can just have your grandchildren call you Doom. <laughs> I'm Doom. What? Every time someone in my family um, introduces us to their new pet, dog, cat, whatever, and they say, we're looking for name suggestions for, for names, I always say, Dr. Doom. <laughs> and so far, nobody nobody's picked up on, on and used that one. But, you know, hey, you can try. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, I guess we should move on to the subject, uh, you know, whatever's going on in the world. And, yeah, uh, starting off, you know, got to breathe a big sigh of relief. And thankful about uh, Jeremy Renner because, as y'all know, he uh, got ran over by his snowplow last week, and yeah, was in critical condition. He lost a lot of blood, uh, really got messed up. Basically, collapsed one whole side of his body. The you know uh, just really crushed. really messed him up. Yeah, he was crushed by a, what a, it's a multi-ton snowplow. Apparently, he had uh, he was in it and he was clearing the the path for one of his neighbors or one of his relatives and he'd stopped it parked it so that it shouldn't move and got out and he was talking to them and it started moving and so he was trying to jump back into it into the cab and i don't know if you've ever seen one of these things but it's there's a cab up top and then it's got like tractor uh or tank treads to move it along and then of course it's got the big plow up front and in his attempt to get into it, he ended up getting pulled under by this thing. And it hit him basically from the face on down on the on the on what looks to be the right side of his body or left side of his body. Terrible. Yeah. And um, it was scary. I mean, you could, even the way the news reports went, it was scary because when you go a long time after someone's been in a serious, serious uh, accident... Without getting any updates, it's. I think back to when Princess Diana had the accident, and we went like the first. We got all this information, and then there was like three hours where we heard nothing. And then my my roommate at the time sits there and says, "Yeah, I'm afraid she's passed on. They're just trying to notify everybody needs to know." 
And so I was like, oh, man. And then, you know, of course, we find out, you know, that uh, he had to go under multiple surgeries. He's still in intensive care even today. Um, but uh, he's, you know, doing better. He's been, you know, putting out messages on social media. And uh, he's even been talking, you know, talking on in, in, in those posts. So uh, definitely uh, his spirits are up. And then, of course, oh, sorry, go ahead. At the risk of, of being insensitive, somebody should get a hold of him and remind him it's Oliver Queen that lost the arm, ooh, not Hawkeye. Ooh, ooh, sorry. Ooh, but I'm bummed. Sorry. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a tough one. I mean, and, and, of course, we had other things happen this week. Damar Hamlin of, I think, the Buffalo Bills, uh, he actually had a cardiac arrest on the field. Yeah, he died. Uh, but yeah, he was brought back. He was resuscitated. They actually did use a defibrillator on him on the field. Yep. And uh, you know he's been in the hospital, but he's he's recovering right now. He's uh, conscious. It's funny because the first thing he says when he woke up is he goes, "Did we win?" And the doctor says, "Yes, you won at life." Yep. And now, of course, the game itself. They stopped the game and they canceled the game. They did not complete that game. Because of what had happened, and they're not going to make that one up. So the, the, both those teams, and I don't even know who they were playing at this point. Bengals, uh, bang- Bills oh, and Bengals. That's right, Bills and Bengals. Yeah, um, and I'm not a sports guy. Yeah, but so they're they're basically back one game to every other team. Still, they both have clinched a, a playoff berth, so they'll be uh, they'll be able to move on. And Hamlin wants right now. Uh, all he wants to do is get healthy enough. So that he can come out with the team out of that tunnel uh, on, on the on the next game. So uh, I don't think he'd be able to do it today if there is a game today for them. But uh, yeah, uh, it, I mean we've been hearing a lot of a lot of crazy stuff, and those are two two of them that are really really tough. But at the same time, you know those guys were incredibly lucky, and that they're both still alive and with us today. Uh, not to be insensitive, but uh, boy, you would have thought. Well, I won't say that. Um, it was big news at my television station. Yeah. As it happened that evening, I couldn't figure out why everybody was so devastated by it. I mean, again, I I don't know the guy. I don't follow sports. It wasn't something that concerned me except for of course simply for another human being mm-hmm. but i couldn't figure out why they didn't resume the game once they had him off the field and under care it just it just didn't add up to me but apparently the the whole situation hit just a whole lot of people yeah a lot more intensely than i ever realized and i well, i still kind of scratch my head why that is well you're if you're if you were there um, it, it, that is a, a, just, I mean, the, 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 I'm not making a pun by saying this. It's a shocking situation yeah. to sit there, watch them doing CPR and somebody, and then bring out the defibrillators because everybody was able to see what was going on there. You know, there, well, I, I'd heard that, uh, the, the, the team members gathered around and made a human shield, a human fence. Uh, so that you couldn't see what was going on. But that whether alone, that was intentional or whether that was accidental, they gathered around, and there right. was no way for the commentators for anybody to actually see 
as they were treating him, whether they stripped him or whether they they yeah, but did, uh, that, that, exposed that, the chest, whatever. And that's you the thing. See. When you when you can't see like that, that breeds all sorts of speculation and everything. They were thinking yeah. that a lot of people were thinking that he was dead. He was, but I mean, I mean, dead in the permanent dead, you know, uh, sense. And well, I, I brought mean, him back. It, I mean, yeah, I, but I, did, did the, each player, every player, is that, just physically devastated. He almost died. I don't think that's the case. I think he did die. Yeah, and, and you, the it, thing it, is, the defibrillator did its job. But they keep replaying the video of him hitting the guy, getting up, and then falling down. And the yeah. thing is, I watched that video, and it really hit me so hard. Not because of what was happening to him right there, but because of, and I've spoken about him many times over the years, Sean Kaufman, who was my best friend, uh, met him in college, and... Um, 12 years ago, he was doing a PT run with his Navy buddies, getting ready for his physical. And he just, at the end of the run, they're all sitting there just kind of trying to you know, calm down, get their breath down and everything. And he just dropped, just like that guy right there, just dropped. And they, there was nothing they could do. They couldn't resuscitate him. And, oh, that's and, and he died at uh, 44, you know, with just, it just you know, it, it, they said it was like he was unplugged from the Matrix. You know, just he just dropped, and there was nothing, nothing they could do to bring him back. So when I saw this video of this, it hit just yeah. just like that, and I was just like, "Oh man, it's it." And, and the thing is, when you're on a sports field, and everything about what you're doing in a game like that is emotional, and 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 you're you're basically sitting there girding yourself up for that. You need the crowd to get into it, and all that. The realization of of something like this when it happens. <laughs> Is it the psychological effect on the teams, on the audience, on everybody is so strong? It could have been devastating, and it wouldn't have been fair to either team to try and continue that game. So I, I think it was the best choice that the NFL made to stop the game right there. Now, should they have p- picked back up and done another one, a makeup game? It would throw everything else off as far as the playoff picture and everything that they got planned out going into February. So it would it would have been too costly of, of of that to do that, and both teams are going to the playoffs anyway. So it, I think they made the smart choice in in uh, just canceling that game altogether. And we, we have one other connection to to that game locally here. Yeah, um, I'm in um, Athens, Ohio, not quite the East Coast, and Joe Burrow. Um, of the Cincinnati team was uh, not born and raised here, but he went through high school here. And then when he was picked for the Heisman trophy, uh, that was big news here. So we followed his career. And of course the local folks were all anticipating a great game. So that's, that's a local connection to him. I don't know if you folks are invested in him as much as we are, but uh, can't say you know. not really. I mean, it is what it is. Sorry. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's enough of sports. What else have we got to talk about? Well, there was a little bit of bad news that came out this morning. Um, Adam Rich, who was the youngest actor on the TV show Eight is Enough in the 70s and 80s, he passed away at the age of 54. Um, I was trying to find out what they said, if there was any... uh, He died Saturday at his home, and they haven't shared the cause of death. This was reported initially by TMZ. 
So we'll find out soon enough. But, uh, I mean, the thing is, uh, I only remember him from ages enough. I don't know if he did really much of anything else. I think he did, like, some Littlest Angel movies, TV movies and stuff back then. Because he was one of those cute child stars that everybody just thought was the cutest. And when they grew up, everybody just walks away from them. But right. he, he also... It's really hard on child stars. Yeah, but he, he did have one other distinction, I think, is that the kid was responsible... Uh, because of eight is enough, uh, the the craze of green slime. Do you remember that stuff? Vaguely, because it, it wasn't it uh, a stunt yeah. on Nickelodeon. That yeah. that would have been later. Uh, you're talking okay. about you can't do that on television with 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 the. No, there was a back in the '70s. There was a, a you bought it at the toy store, and it was a little tub, and you opened it up, and it's just this. It looks like. Mountain Dew in a gel form. I mean, it's just this tub of goo, green goo. Right. You could mm-hmm. make, you could use it to look like ectoplasm if you wanted to make right. your own Ghostbusters film. And what's the connection with the kid, though? Well, the in one one of the episodes when that stuff came out, he basically had um, stolen a bunch of stuff from a toy store. And oh. one of the things he had stolen was a green slime, and you see him playing with it. And it's one of those things that's really weird because you feel it in your hands, and it's all wet and gooey and yucky. You're like, uh. But the moment that you drop it, your hands dry. Okay. And so he was playing it on the show, and then all of a sudden, sales on the green slime just boom shot up huge. And they yeah. they never you know they never uh, utilized him for the commercials, which they should have, because he he made it a big thing. Without even realizing that they were, that that was going to make it a big thing. Well, there's only so much they can do. There were probably Pelagola and Palo uh, restrictions <laughs> yeah. on on his appearance and and what have you. Also, if if you were the manufacturer of this product and the storyline was that he had stolen it, I'm not sure that's the most favorable uh, you know, celebrity endorsement. This is I'm true. not sure that you really want to pursue that. Yeah. I just go to the bank with both hands, you know. Yep. Yep. Well, anyway, I mean, you know, but he's someone that, that anybody that was around that time would, uh, would remember him, uh, especially, you know, if you saw a picture of him, you go, Oh, that's that kid from eight is enough. Cause it, it made him popular just, you know, being that. And he was that, that cute kid that everybody just adored. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah so uh, it, you know, that's uh, a sad thing. Adam Rich, rest easy. Uh, so we'll move on from there. And now, neither of you guys have seen this movie, but uh, it is a, a surprise to me that, it, that what's happening. I'm talking about Avatar: Way of the Water, the sequel to the first Avatar movie. And I'm going to take a look here on Box Office Mojo because uh, it has really, you know, the, the <clears throat> Cameron said that based on how much he spent on it, which was about total $450 million to put this movie mm-hmm. together, wow. that um, he would probably have to, the movie would probably have to make $2 billion in order for him to, you know, uh, make a profit. That's what they say, two and a half times is uh, is the benchmark for a, a movie to be considered successful. Mm-hmm. Can you guess how much the, the movie has made so far? Who asked for this sequel? <laughs> I, Sorry. I, I can't complain. I'll tell you, I was like, 
I, I originally thought, you know, wow, this is cool. I'd like to see more from this world just from the visual standpoint because it was just breathtaking when it first came out in 2009. It was, it was. I mean, the story for the of the first movie was a retreaded story of Dances with Wolves, the episode of um, Star Trek where Kirk's on the planet with the Indians. The the yeah, yeah you know Miramani yeah Miramani or or uh, if you ever saw Fern Gully the Last Rainforest the the story is kind of that same story you know uh, and the uh, it it got it got a lot of uh, criticism for that but still the first Avatar is still the highest uh, as, as far as you know making money it's got the most box office money of any movie it even resurpassed uh, Avengers Endgame, uh, which uh, had taken over from from Avatar for a while, but uh, when China opened the doors to the the, the mass market movie theaters across the country, uh, Avatar when they when they brought it in made so much money it again surpassed Endgame, and so this movie has been out since December sixteenth, so it's basically three weeks. And it has made $1.5 billion wow. in that time. So it is already one of the top ten grossing movies of all time. And the way, the, 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 the speed at which the money is coming in, <clears throat> probably a good chance that uh, Friday alone it made $53 million. Now that's opening day for a lot of other movies you know mm -hmm. so uh, i mean it's it is a phenomena and and just as as it goes around you know, to the various countries around the world it's doing a lot and as i understand it china actually um shut the door and said we're not going to show this movie for for one reason or another so i don't know what's going to happen there i'm sure it'll eventually we'll, we'll show there and again i'll have a resurgence when it does, but I've no doubt in my mind that it's going to break two billion. Um, I just don't know how quickly it'll do. You know, maybe there's other movies coming out, but there's not any movies that are really um, tentpole kind of big movies right this minute that are about to hit the theater. So I don't think it's going to have any major competition. So I understand the last the movie that came out Friday is uh, Megan M three G A N. Oh yeah, which it's a Chucky remake. Okay, that's that's right. And then uh, what? Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, A Man Called. That seems like that would be a bigger hit than anything we've discussed. Puss in Boots. Puss just in boots. just to my sensibilities, I'm thinking that'll be a hit with the kids. There's an adult level to it. It's an established character. It has only animation, so you don't have to really pay the live actors. Except for you know the name voice talent, mm -hmm. I I would think that that would would be the smash hit of the season. Well, it's been out since December twenty first. It's made a hundred and fifty one million. Not bad, not bad. I made that last Friday when I bought the lotto ticket, but we won't talk about that. Hmm. Oh, I forgot to buy tickets. Did anyone win? Hey, nobody won. Holy cow! That's the mega millions, and it's what up to one point two billion. I don't know how much it is it's, now, it's but over a billion. Won. Yeah, it's, it's still going. It, it is over a billion. That's crazy. Well, you know, if I hit it big, I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy out the franchise. You know, Third Degree Burn will become a property of Greenfield Incorporated, and <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, huh. 
I'm checking to see what the budget of Puss in Boots. But are. Brian, that might be good. We might actually become paid employees. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you might double your your pay. Maybe. Okay, but um, you get to go back on all the old episodes and remove any musical cues that would get us to uh, be yeah. sued. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, let me see here if somebody tells us what the budget was. Okay, ninety million is what the so is what, doing the, well. what the budget was on that. It well, the thing is supposed to. You, they say you have to make three times the budget. So it's it would still have to make what two two hundred and seventy million to uh, be considered a hit, and so financially, financially, yeah. And then I don't know who came up with that figure anyway. Well, the thing is, is that whenever you make any, whenever you're putting out any kind of studio film, as much money as goes into the budget, you're going to equal that in uh, promotion. You're going to spend that much on promotion. And I don't understand how they could do that with Avatar because I don't see how you'd spend $450 million on promotion for Avatar The Way of the Water. I, I mean, you could do the same amount of promotion that you did for the first one and bring people in. And the, the thing I'll say about the movie is, you know, I've seen it, you guys have not. The story is a better story than the first one. What's going on makes a lot of sense. Um... There are certain certain points where I think kids will be fine, but parents will kind of groan at one or two things that goes on. Not because it's you know it's like a stupid thing. It's just like oh yeah, I know what's about to happen because you're a parent. And um, the the other thing I'll say though is that as far as the visuals go, it was just as beautiful, if not more beautiful, than the first movie. And the three D actually stayed with me throughout the entire movie. Typically, when I go see a 3D movie, the 3D effect is really cool at the beginning, but it wears off, and then about you know third away in to the end, it's like watching a regular movie just because you know you're you're not really experiencing 3D as much because your mind has just you know accepted it. But no, this this movie it stayed with me. It kept coming at me. It kept surprising me. There was even one point where I almost said to somebody in front of me, "You know, sit down. You're you're blocking my view." And it was a character on the screen. It just looked like they were right there next to me. Mm -hmm. It stood up, and they, I was in the stadium seating, so there's no way anybody could have actually gotten like that in front of me. It was it was that good. It it just felt that real watching it, and it stayed through the whole movie. I, I never once. I was just so aware of the 3D effects and how well they worked. So, yeah, this it, I say it's worth the watch. Now it's two hours, I mean, three hours, three hours long. So, uh, as my son says, you know, bring a catheter and a, a, a bottle yeah. of your boot. Because, uh, yeah, you're going to be there a while. Hmm. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> uh, the other big uh, movie to come out that's, you know, still doing some money is... Uh, the Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Now, it's not doing uh, the money that the first Black Panther did. Uh, so far, at this point, it's been out since November 11th, but it's still bringing in money in the theaters, and it's made worldwide $824 million. And 443 of that was banned in the United States alone. Now, to compare that to Avatar 2, Avatar 2's made half a billion in the United States, just a little bit more than uh, Black Panther has. And then all that other money has come from, you know, outside the United States. 
So Black Panther bigger in the United States than it is outside of the United States uh, by a little bit. You know, 443 million versus 381 million. Whereas uh, Avatar 2, like as I was saying, uh, has done 483 million in the United States and then uh, uh, 1 billion, 75 million outside the United States. Crazy. Well, mm-hmm. So we're on a roller coaster again with this with this movie, and you know it's funny because there's just as many naysayers and haters out there as there were <laughs> when the first one came out, and I think all that really points to is that there's a very very loud vocal minority out there that basically want to tear down anything that comes out because this isn't a bad movie; it's a good movie, and it keeps you going till the end. Cameron's really good at. Ramping up the tension. Excellent. Mm-hmm. That's good to hear. All right, I'll shut up now about that. Uh, anything? Hey, have, you, have you ever seen the movie Medicine Man with Sean Connery? Uh, haven't you ever watched something before? One moment you have it, that's, the next moment it's gone. That's the one. You know, and that's directed by John McTiernan, isn't it? Um, awesome. I have not seen. I that. was wondering if that was the same storyline as Dances with Wolves, and and uh, that that you know just a variation on the same thing. I don't think going so. Going native. Because, I, I mean, yeah, it's got that going native aspect to it, but I think it was more about finding a cure for cancer, isn't it? Because he was down... Well, that's what it turns out to be. But. Yeah, he's in the Amazon rainforest. And this is a John McTiernan film, and I would really... I, 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 I want to go back and watch his whole library of, of films, because well, the one thing I found is that John McTiernan, as a filmmaker, really seems to know how to, to get you pulled into a movie... Um, well, maybe not with Rollerball, but uh, you know all the other ones. I mean, this is a guy that gave us Predator. He gave us Die Hard. He gave us The Last Action Hero, which today is a much more people are watching it, saying it's a good movie than back when it first came out. And it's really, actually, it's very good from a, a you know a modern day perspective. So that's one that people should uh, take a look at. Um, but, I mean, John McTiernan put together a lot of really, really good films. 13th Warrior, Thomas Crown Affair. He directed a sec- the third Die Hard, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Um, and The Hunt for Red October. So, I mean, he's got some really, really good films on his his uh, list there uh, as a director. Now, back in the early 2000s, he got into some legal trouble. And apparently he hired a private detective to follow someone. But some, something, I don't remember exactly what it was, but he wound up going to prison. And I'm trying to see if they got the, the charge for that. Um, but they may not keep stuff like that on his IMDB profile. <laughs> um, I'll have to look it up on, uh, on Wikipedia. But... Uh, I mean, do you guys like his movies as much as I do? Oh, some that you've mentioned are some of my favorites. Some. Yeah, yeah. Thomas Crown Affair, I think, is wonderful. Medicine Man, I really like. Uh, against all odds, I didn't like it initially, but upon re-watching it, it's become especially nice. I like the last comment. If you've seen the movie, at the very end, the female lead does a little voiceover that, that kind of bookends the thing. Mm-hmm. It gets me right in the emotional gut. Ooh. Okay. So I, I've enjoyed that movie. 
Yeah, again, yeah, I, I, I definitely want to go back and watch that one because I remember when it came out and I say, like, okay, it's Sean Connery being Sean Connery. It's a John McTiernan film. It looks good, but for whatever reason, I didn't see it when it first came out. That was uh, in between Last Action Hero and The Hunt for Red October. So it's in that like sweet spot when he was making you know really good uh, films. Um, yeah, he he actually got in trouble for doing a legal wiretap on uh, produce the producer of Rollerball, and so he wound up getting some you know felony convictions and wound up in prison for a short while. What was he trying to prove? Oh, well, he I, he was very paranoid about something. I'd, I'd have to read all this, and it's a long, long well, stuff. if thing. you've seen the remake of Rollerball, yeah, it ain't that good. No, no, it isn't. I, and I remember... The original can't be touched. Right, James Caan, great movie right there. That Go watch that now instead of this one, that's for sure. I agree. Because, uh, I, I agree. mean, this one had Chris Klein starring it. And Chris Klein, while he may be good for the American Pie films... You know, he's not, you know, an Arnold stand-in. And that's what they, they, they kind of tried to paint him like, is an Arnold stand-in. You know, like, this is the next Arnold Schwarzenegger right here. Mm. He wasn't a, a Mr. Universe or anything, but he was he was a good-looking guy, you know, and he was big. And they just, I mean, you know, he would be good to, say, play Jack Reacher, maybe. But, they, they you know, Alan Richson's doing a great job on that right now, uh, if you haven't watched that. Um the, not the Tom Cruise movie, but the uh, Adam Richman show on uh, Amazon. But, um, yeah, I mean, he just wasn't, uh, Chris Klein, he just wasn't as charismatic as he needed to be to uh, headline a film like that. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, still, John McTiernan, you know, not many stinkers on his filmography, aside from, say, Rollerball. But I haven't watched Basic also, and that one was uh, John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson, if I remember. So I have to, I have to track that one down. Whew. So, speaking of the movie industry, um, in the past couple weeks, we've found that James Gunn, who's directed all three Guardians of the Galaxies movies, as well as the Guardians of the Galaxies Christmas special, or holiday special, excuse me. <laughs> Uh, That's something we should talk yeah, about. Yeah, I know. We'll get to that in just a moment. But he he is now, uh, along with, uh, what's the guy's name, Peter Safran, are the head honchos of what is going to be the whatever's coming forth from the DC uh, motion picture branch of uh, Warner Brothers. He defected? Well, I mean, he'd finished Guardians of the Galaxy uh, uh, several months ago. And uh, I, I think that they're just doing all the final polishes on it. But, you know, he'd been pretty much done with that. And nobody wanted the job at DC of uh, taking over the, the, the motion picture uh, bit. Uh, it seemed to be a, t a really tough job for anybody to handle because there was so much interference from... Uh, up above on what they wanted in, in the movies and such. And so, uh, you know, a lot of the guys that were doing it were just, I mean, the last guy that did it, I think he was an accountant. And as you can see, there's this kind of weird uh, hit or miss thing that's been going on with the DC movies in the last couple of years. And then there was the battle uh, for the, the, the Snyder verse and uh, even Dwayne Johnson trying to take over 
the, the the DC movie bit, and you know he thought that his Black Adam movie was going to be the watershed that opens the gates to a rock verse, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, there at, in the DC movie realm. So I, I mean, it, it was really interesting when I heard that James Gunn was going to do it, but it also brought several things to light, and um, you know, Warner Brothers made a, a lot of other choices. Uh, in there that's got people just like flabbergasted. They completely canned the Batgirl movie that is complete. I mean, the movie is done. It's scored. It's in the can. It's ready to ready for release. And they said no. We're putting we're putting it in the can. Why? If you've invested that much into they, it, they invested, why would you not at least go direct a video or something? They invested ninety million in it. And the thing is when the bean counters took a look at everything and they saw the loss that they would see on that versus what could happen if they put it in a the theater, they said, no, we can make more money by canning it than we can by releasing it. Wow. Now, and, and this is the thing that's really, really difficult because it has to stay canned. If it ever gets out, then all of a sudden, all the money that they're saving right now is a loss because they're going to wind up having to pay a lot more. I mean, even if bootleg copies get out there, it could be very bad for them legally. So yeah, that's the thing. They may doesn't make sense to me, but yeah, they they may be burning it for all I know, just destroying it just so that a copy doesn't get out there. But you know that there's somebody in like a special effects house or, you know, somebody out there that it was, was part of the whole thing. That's got a copy saved on a thumb drive. And, you know, one day down the, down the road, you're going to be walking around a convention and someone's going to have a DVD of a bootleg copy exactly. of that movie. And boom, you know, it's just we'll, we'll probably hear about All it when, if and when that does happen. Um, the other thing that, that really still, you know, boggles a lot of minds is about the Flash movie. Or was, is it going to be called Flashpoint? Let me see here. And that is that still while in the light of everything that Ezra Miller has done in these last few years I mean the guy really went off the deep end and it almost sounded like he was going to be the next Jim Jones uh, you know he, he sounds like he's trying to be a cult leader or something uh, he's of course uh, gone back and forth about uh, his gender identity and uh, he's I think uh, he's wanting to use the pronouns they them to describe they them, uh, and let's see if trying to see where they've got because they don't even have the the film listed on IMDb at all, and that is really really weird. the The last thing that they actually have they got the Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, which came out you know this last year, and Dollyland, Dollyland, as in I guess. Is it Salvador Dali? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it looks like the story of Salvador Dali, and he's playing a young version of 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 Dali, the Dali there, and I guess Ben Kingsley is playing the older version because that's the only role he knows how to play. Uh, I'm just kidding. He's great as Trevor Slattery, <laughs> but uh, you know, regardless of everything that's gone on with Ezra Miller, and, and he's had a couple, you know, felony arrests and, and basically acts of violence and uh, other bizarre 
uh, actions, uh, you know, that, that have been attributed to him. And still, you know, um, I mean, they got enough pressure on Amber Heard to all but completely remove her from the next Aquaman movie. And yet they're still moving forward to put the flash out. Now, the thing that I have read time and time again is... And canning a, a fully completed film. Yeah. But the, Batgirl. I mean, it's like, yeah, yeah, so you figure, well, I mean, now, from what I understand, the Batgirl movie was really bad. Really, really horribly awful. That was Catwoman. No, this they're talking about the, the new Batgirl film that had been filmed. I mean, this movie has got Michael Keaton in it. And it just seems like Michael Keaton's having a hard time, except for, you know, uh, the Spider-Man Homecoming and the Birdman movie he did. Uh, the other superhero stuff is not going well for him where he's playing Batman because this seems to be um, killing it. But Warner's is still going to go ahead and put out The Flash uh, this this coming summer. I think it's coming out in June. And so probably at the Super Bowl, um, we'll see a trailer for The Flash or Flashpoint or whatever they're going to call it. It's funny because they just don't even have it listed on IMDb. But no, the, James Gunn said it is going to be released. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens on that. I'm I'm excited to see the movie because all the press and it's been screened for some people and people that uh, that review movies, and they say it is really a great film. So I, I don't know if you can sit there and and take all that all the bad press Ezra Miller's had for the last you know couple of years, if you can put that aside and go see this movie, you know maybe you'll be pleasantly surprised at how good it is. But this is the sad thing about knowing everything about everyone, knowing how the sausage is made, that you know we've got all this baggage that taken in with us when we when we see a movie like this. But for guys like us, this is the kind of movie we want to see. And I think that the reason why they still want to go with it is that this is the movie that can reset the the DC universe and the movie in the movie theaters. That will make it easier for them to transition to a newer, younger Superman and whatever they're going to plan on doing with um, Batman in that same realm. Because they do want that interconnected DC universe. Now, they're still going to go ahead and, rele- and put out uh, a sequel to The Joker... And I'm not going to try and say the name because it's French and I'll mess it up. Um, but uh, the the sequel to The Joker and they've got Lady Gaga in there as Harley Quinn. Oh, God. So, yeah, the Joaquin Phoenix, Todd Phillips uh, movie's got a sequel. And it I'm sure it will be brilliant, but it should never be made. That's just my opinion now. And then... Um, what was the other... Oh, yeah, the, uh, the, the Batman... Films that Matt Reeves is putting together with, uh, what's his name from uh, Twilight? Robert Pattinson. Um, now that, of course, takes place in its own universe. It's not, in, as, as does the Joaquin Phoenix Joker. Uh, they've got no relevance to the Snyderverse or to whatever James Gunn is putting out, so he's got no problem putting the, you know those movies out. Um, so those, those you know, they'll, we'll see another one of those. And... Uh, but then we're also going to get whatever they're going to put together for the upcoming DC movies. Now, 
just so y'all know that they've definitely said that Henry Cavill will not be returning to play Superman. But they have not said anything about Gal Gadot. Just that Sally Jenkins' last um, uh, script for the movie was not the way that they wanted to go. So we're not sure what's going to happen with Wonder Woman. I, I think if you're letting Henry Cavill go, if Ben Affleck is not going to return, then they should probably also you know let Gal Gadot just go and and uh, start off with a, a younger a younger actress, but uh, someone that that has that uh, same quality because. Yeah, you know, the Gal Gadot had had this ability to look the same age in every movie she's been in for the last, what, twenty years? Because uh, she's near forty right now, but she looks pretty much the same. What do y'all think? You guys there? Yeah. Okay, I thought, yeah. I thought I'd lost. I uh, I'd heard that uh, a rumor that she was also cut loose, but I don't have any source for that. As so I. I really can't comment. I've been following this at all. Well, it, it's really, really funny because before, right before James Gunn makes the announcements on everything, you know, Gal Gadot put out a thing, you know, talking about how great the next Wonder Woman movie is going to be, like the very day before. So she was completely unaware of anything that was going on. Everybody was completely unaware. Even Dwayne Johnson was completely unaware of just what James Gunn had negotiated and gotten them to agree with. And so, I mean, the thing is right now, James Gunn is hated by a lot of people, which, you know, I, I'm with any thing that they're putting out, I'm willing to give it at least a chance to check out what it's going to look like before I'm going to sit there and say it's going to be crap. But, you know, I, I, I <laughs> it's, uh, Whatever kind of universe that, that, that he's going to put together, whatever themes that he's going to create for this, uh, you know, I'm I'm interested to see the the idea of bringing in a younger Superman. And there's one other rumor I wanted to dispel. There was a, a story that went ar- went around, and I don't remember where it came from, that said that uh, they're going to go with a younger actor to play a younger Superman, and they're considering Elliot Page. And that was a complete BS story. And you, do y'all know who Elliot Page is? No. Elliot Page used to be Ellen Page. No. Uh, she played Kitty Pride in uh, some of the X-Men movies. She was in Inception. She was in Juno. She was in... Um, well, anyway, she's been in a lot of stuff. And she's one that also publicly went through a full gender crisis and change. Um where she is now answering to the name Elliot. And she... And he, I believe he, him, pronouns. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Elliot, you know, looks like um, the kid that was in The Sixth Sense, just in an adult, an adult version, <laughs> um, if, if you look at him now. So, uh, you know, I mean, and he's on the, the TV show The Umbrella Academy, where he started off the first season it was Ellen and then by the third season he's Elliot and uh, it, it I mean it really flowed well there they, they, they wrote it into the, the story pretty well and handled it okay but uh, I don't know what, what it's going to do for Elliot's uh, acting gigs moving forward but you know 
good actor. So uh, hopefully we'll see more. Speaking of movies mm-hmm. that you may have missed, maybe you're familiar with it. My wife picked up a DVD copy of something many years ago and had been sitting on it, but we just recently, over the Christmas break, watched it. it I believe the title is something about Miss Peregrine Falcon and School for Unusual Children. Yeah, yeah, I watched that a couple years ago. thought that was pretty decent. It's brilliant. It is a Tim Burton movie. Very Tim Burton, very stylish. We really enjoyed it, so much so that we rewound it and started watching it from the start. And once you know what's going on, it's, it's you know, we got maybe, we were only going to watch the first ten minutes. We got perhaps the first half hour into it and realized we're getting sucked in again. So uh, we, we stopped it. But we really enjoyed the movie. I thought it was very well scripted, I think. It went on the third act. I wasn't expecting to be part of this. I thought this was the launch of a series of movies that, you know, this was going to be the setup and then there would be a second movie and a third movie. But they they did the whole thing in one. I was unfamiliar with the story and it really drew me in. Yeah, and and uh, I mean it's it's a very interesting thing, and, and of course since it's Tim Burton, the visuals are uh, oh really interesting and then you've got asia butterfield uh playing jake one of the main characters and uh what judy dench uh Al- yes. allison jenny T- terrence stamp is in there chris o'dowd just a really really good cast um but the again it's tim burton and samuel tim- jackson yep, yep. I, mean, I thought he was a bit over the top i i will say that was a little bit much for me. Yeah, I mean, he, I know he's been doing that. He's a lot playing lately. the big bad. Yeah, but I'm. I would have preferred that he either toned it down some, or they went with a different actor. But I still enjoyed the movie. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Um, there was something else that um, came. Oh yeah, Tim Burton. Of course, his latest project was the uh, Wednesday series. That is on. I think that's. Is it on Netflix? Have you yes. Have you guys watched this at all? Yeah, it's on. I watched it. It was fantastic. It, it, Je- I loved it. And Jenna Ortega is just like captivating as as Wednesday Adams. Um, just she's she's charismatic and magnetic in in that emo girl kind of way, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and she's not playing Wednesday like Christina Ritchie played her, which uh, I think is is a good thing. Um, she's still playing a character different than Charles Adams had always written Wednesday Adams uh, in his strip, because it was more Pugsley was more like this than Wednesday in the strips, and it was you know she was like more the straight man to it all if, if I remember properly you know, uh, but still you know she what she's done done in this and and she there, there she's become a meme and she's become a TikTok because of this dance segment that she did in one of the episodes. Yeah, everyone's gone crazy for it. Yeah, <laughs> you, can't, you can't scroll through anything without that coming up about every other one. Yeah, and it, But it was a great thing, and uh, the show was excellent, and I really liked the... Uh, I mean, it kind of... It didn't feel like they were padding episodes mm-hmm. uh, to make it a 10-episode uh, series, uh, season. Like, some... like 
in Sabrina, I felt they just patted it out. I'm like, come on. So I got bored with Sabrina uh, a few times. You know, I was just like, this wasn't needed. But in this uh, series, I didn't feel there were times where I didn't feel like, oh, this is just a padding episode. It felt like every episode really took the story a little bit further and brought you to what the eventual conclusion was. And uh, it was it was really well done. And all of the characters, Catherine Zeta-Jones actually makes a really good uh, Morticia. And Gomez was a really great different look at Gomez. I mean, I grew up with John Astin's version. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, Raul Julia, this is not... Raul Julia's version also. Just, uh, you know... The... I thought Raul Julia was closer to the original concept. Yeah, well, Luis Guzman, who's playing, you know, Gomez in this one, you know, he's such a different actor from from those guys because Luis Guzman right. has always been the that guy actor where you know he shows up in a billion different movies and you go, ah, oh, look, there's that guy, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and here he is, and 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 you can tell it's him, but it's almost to the point of being unrecognizable. I mean, it's yeah. it, it it's it, he gets so lost in the character that you're not sitting there pointing at the screen going, oh, it's that guy, you know? You're just like, wow, this is, you know, this is really interesting. But I, uh, there's been a little bit of complaint saying that he's the weakest character on there, but he's actually, I mean, he's playing it pretty well, I think. Yeah, he did good. Uh, and, of course, uh, you know, next to uh, Wednesday or Jen Ortega, the, the other breakout star, of course, is Thing. <laughs> <laughs> Thing is messed up, and, and now, of course, Thing is also um, not being, you know, put together the way that he was in the Charles Adams strips. Now, no, in, in, a, if you watch the yeah, if you watch the Adams Family TV show, um, the John Aston one, you'll see that you know Thing comes out of cupboards and other little things all throughout the the house. Mm-hmm. Right, and it looks more like there's a guy, you know, in all these different places that's just sticking his hand out to do whatever, and that's right. the way it's drawn in the Charles Adams strip. So when the movie came out in ninety ninety one, whenever it came out, um, the the they did the special effects <clears throat> to make it a completely separated hand. Right, a green screen. Yeah, and I- and it, I mean they did a masterful job of it. Yeah, and I really like the character of it. And this one here is a similar thing, though it's a lot more stitched up and, and desiccated, and you know it's mm-hmm. it's you know just really really bizarre. And but it's got even more pronounced of a of a personality than mm-hmm. the, that that one from the nineties had. But it is a big difference from the way Charles Adams had envisioned it. So I, some people look at that and they go, ah, nah, you know, and they, and they walk away from it. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say in particular John Byrne, so we can mention that guy on, on this show. Is that he 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 stopped watching once uh, once he saw that because he was just like, nope, nope. He he he's 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 very uh, you know concerned that they try to uphold the original creator's vision, and uh, everybody keeps straying away. But I understand why they do it myself, so I'm not, you know, as as uh, picky in that regard. I was a little bit surprised when I did some research a couple of years ago into the original Charles Adams family cartoons mm-hmm. that were appearing in the New Yorker yeah. and various other publications. I had not caught the, the Gomez Adams, um, what's the word that I want, template. I didn't realize what he was supposed to be. The, the closest we ever got to it 
in the uh, the TV series um, with uh, what's his name the the actor John Aston, John Aston mm-hmm. was it Yeah. He the only hint of the original character that's still there is when he goes, "Oh, Morticia, you make my blood boil," and he becomes this passionate, over the top, sense lover. Yeah. <laughs> the original character is supposed to be an obsessed Latin lover who's in love with the dead. He's a necrophilia. Yeah. <laughs> and that does not come through in the TV show, except in John Ashen. Yeah, uh, John Aston uh, just, you know, going, oh, let me kiss your hand, your finger, your neck, your, you know, just, that's the, the only hint of that character that ever comes through. Otherwise, All you I'm... know, I thought Rawls Julia did a good job of it, but I've not seen the, the most recent incarnation at all. Yeah, I just, just, I find that interesting because most people do not know that. Mm. They don't realize he's supposed to be a hot-blooded Latin lover. Well, it's funny because, you know, when John Aston played him, and even though his name is Gomez Adams, you don't get that that Latino feel from it at Not all. Not at all. Not at all. And now Raul Julia again, you know he's Latino, or he was Latino, rest his soul. And uh, same with John Adams, um, rest his soul. That is not that he's Latino, uh, but uh, you know even so, you never got that that Latin feel from him at all. Um, you just got a, a very exuberant. Uh, lover of his kind of life. <laughs> so, lover of life, lover of death. And uh, with Luis Guzman, you're getting, you know, a number of things, you know, out of his performance. He's definitely Latino, definitely got uh, some obsessions that are, you know, the rest of us would not say are healthy. But, uh, and of course, he's got that love for Morticia. Tish, you spoke French. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. all I ever think of is Tish, you spoke French. And go for the arm. But yeah, Wednesday, definitely worth a watch. What, eight episodes in the first season? It was yesterday renewed for the second season. So uh, we'll definitely be seeing more of that. And we're going to see a lot more from Jenna Ortega. She's definitely a star on the rise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she can write a lot of tickets right now. Okay, so what else do we have uh, that uh, any of you guys can bring up? Because I, I that was the list of things I'd had pretty much written out. Um now, um, I might have missed this in a previous episode that I missed being on. Did you guys, either of you watch Black Adam? What did you think of it? I haven't seen it yet. I've watched it twice now, um, and I like it. But, uh, I mean, it there there were things that, that just didn't really gel a whole lot. And what I'll say is this, is that after watching that... Black Adam is not as powerful as he should have been in the in, in that movie, um, and the 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 reason why I say that is that the Hawkman character stood toe to toe, blow for blow with him. Uh, he would best him out of his better fighting skills, but he was sitting there punching him with everything he's got, and Hawkman is just staying right there with it. Black Adam, when if he were to hit anybody that was, you know, not Superman level power, they're gonna fall apart and die. You know, I mean, we, we watched in the was during the fifty two, where he basically punched his hand right through Terra. Um, 
And the storyline that they use is one that, that follows along with uh, the storyline we saw in Action Comics when Gail Simone was writing it, Black Adam being, you know, representative of almost of this entire one country uh, in the Middle East. And um, by by the end of the movie, he's basically the, you know, the, the guy that protects that country. Because they didn't want to make him a villain. They wanted to make him an anti-hero. And, of course, I grew up with Black Adam always being the villain. You know, all the comic books I read, he was the evil villain trying to kill Captain Marvel, the guy they now call Shazam. Anyway, fun movie to watch. A lot of good, you know, superhero action. Uh, uh, what's his name? Um, 007. Uh, Sean Connery. No, no, no. Pierce Brosnan. Pierce Brosnan. Pierce Brosnan plays Dr. Fate, and Dr. Fate is the, the guy that they really should have focused on. He Just Brosnan's portrayal was really, really good. The character on the screen was incredibly, uh, just, it was gorgeous to watch him in action and the things that he did. Uh, he was a good, uh, good DC version of Dr. Strange, you know? And, but I mean, they, you know, what they did, uh, I, I didn't agree with, with his character ultimately and the future that they've set out for, for his character. Uh, I think they could have, could have done differently, but you know, they had other characters that were, that were interesting. They had Adam Smasher was supposed to be the son of the Adam. And, um, apparently Henry Winkler was, was the original Adam because he had a phone mm-hmm. call with him or he was his nephew or, or but related to him and so it's a legacy character and I, I, he was sitting there joined to giant, giant proportions and uh, all the giant scenes were well well done um, I, I thought and the character just kind of had that um, you know he still had that wet behind the ears uh, look to you know, or act about him and then there was another character, and uh, she was, what, Whirlwind or Halo? or I mean, she was supposed to be able to make tornadoes and such, part of that whole elemental thing. I'm not familiar with her at all, and she wasn't really utilized to any good... Uh, it's like they, they left a lot of the movie on the cutting room floor that, that might have focused on her character because they just didn't utilize her much. Now, that being said, Dwayne Johnson spent the movie looking cool. But Dwayne Johnson, though, it became public that he negotiated in his contract when he's starting to do these movies, when he's going to play Black Adam, that he would not be shown on screen losing a battle, losing a fight. So that gets out, that kind of, you know, ruins the whole thing. And then, of course, they had the well-publicized cameo at the very, very end of the movie. You heard about this? Which movie? The Black Adam movie. No. Yeah, uh, they they had a cameo at the very, very end of the movie, at the end of the credits, with Henry Cavill as Superman. Oh, right, yeah. And, of course, they also had uh, Amanda Waller uh, in the movie as well. And they made her out to be the Nick Fury character of the DCU, you know. Um, But, obviously, all this right now, we don't know what's going to happen uh, the movie did not perform as well as they'd hoped it would. Performed okay. I believe it made its money back. But I don't think that they're going to be making any more movies with Dwayne Johnson. I think they kind of 
the bridge got burnt in all that. So uh, I don't know what's what's going to happen, but uh, it's not going to be like it uh, like it was. So uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, let me see how much that made. Mm-hmm. So Black Adam uh, on a, I think it had a hundred and fifty million dollar budget, and it made sixty seven million opening weekend. But its worldwide take to date, and this movie was released October fourteenth, was three hundred ninety two million. Uh, so with that's not really it's not so far really been profitable even though Dwayne Johnson went out on Twitter and said that it was profitable um, and it was right after that that uh, everything at DC kind of flip flopped and James Gunn has come in and so now we don't know what's going to happen there in the future chances are that was the one and only time we're going to see Dwayne Johnson uh, as Black Adam in a movie. But we'll just have to have to wait and see what's going to happen next. Get your popcorn ready. I have two other comic-related things to bring up. Mm-hmm. Not that they're fresh, but on another, uh, another Facebook page that uh, I think John and I both follow... There was some discussion. I'm not sure how it came up, but uh, we started talking about Avengers Forever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I yesterday I was looking for my trade paperback of the thing because I wanted to refresh my memory of it. Couldn't find it, so I got online and I found uh, the 12-issue maxi series from I don't remember what year it was. Um, you know, about 20 years ago or so. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I started flipping through it because I remembered a couple of salient points to it and I was kind of skimming it and skimming it. And after about, I don't know, 45 minutes or an hour, I was eight issues into it and my head was hurting so much. (laughs) It's like, Oh my God, this is a dense story. And there's so many non sequiturs and so many things brought into it. I really think it's an amazing, um, accomplishment, an amazing, um, um, on its scope, what they tried to do. And from what I hear, when Kurt Busiek and, um, I can't think of who the artist is, but uh, when they sat down to do it, their, their intent was not to reorganize the Avengers, uh, universe, but they were just writing a great Avengers romp, you know, a larger story. And as it went, they were able to incorporate and straighten out and fix continuity gaps and contradictions. Anyways, as I look back on it, I had not remembered that it was so complex. But as I look back on it now, I still think it's it's perhaps the biggest um, Avengers story ever told. The big the the you know the what's the word that I want the landmark. Not a reboot, but it, it uh, really puts things in perspective, mm-hmm. makes connections between things, underscores what's real, throws out things that aren't real or that have been, you know, retcons that didn't work, and explain it all. So, you know. That's good. That, I mean, that sounds really good. I, I have not um, read that myself, so I'm... Be careful. Small doses start in small doses. You know, it's it's funny because that's what I'm doing with um, 
Uh, I'd never read uh, Superman Batman Generations 3 all the way through. I'd read some specific issues as I found them out in the wild. Um, but I'm going through it right now. And I've gotten about a third of the way through... And I'm enjoying it so far. The way the the story flows, so there's you know every now and then they get into certain characters, and you're just like, okay, I, I can do without these characters, and go on to the next part of the story. But uh, no, I'm I'm enjoying it. Now, John, you read the, you read this also, or you were in the the same forum that um, Kirk was in? Because it sounds like there was some discussion there that. Uh, um, I don't remember a lot of the discussion. I did read The Avengers Forever, um, but a long time ago, and I haven't read it since. Mm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it is a pretty dense uh, book, and I, and it's interesting that it's uh, – I don't know if it's got a re-release or people are just finding it and taking an interest because I have you – know, I was kind of surprised that it came up and got so much um, yeah. – uh, interaction and well and it and it's good because it incurred, got Kirk to read it. <laughs> yeah, I, if I remember right, I think that um, the thing that carried more interest into it with other readers was John Byrne's X Men Elswin. And because I, I just remember, you know, in in the 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 Byrne forums, a lot of people saying, "Yeah, this is kind of doing in John Byrne's fan fiction what uh, Avengers, you know, forever did." I, I could be wrong, but I, I remember that being some of the some of the discussion there. Does it? I don't know. Does that sound right? Is there any kind of parallel there in what it does? I, to... I would not have made that that connection. I don't. I'm not sure what they mean by that as being a magnus opus. Well, yes, I can see that. But no, but it, it's basically John Byrne. You know, and, they, and I don't want to call it a retcon or anything, but John Byrne's own imagining of the X-Men as a storyteller from that point, you know, starting right. there after, you know, X-Men 137 and just, you know, changing that telling one detail and then telling his own story on from there. I mean, does it feel like that where they picked up a no. spot? No. Okay. No. The best, if you're not familiar with it without doing a huge data dump, uh, let me say this. Basically, there's a struggle going on between Kang and Immortus. Okay, there's always been a, a struggle there. Well, this is a war, and correct me if I'm wrong, John, I think it's being referred to as the Destiny War, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Basically, the team of Avengers that form the core main protagonists of this story are assembled throughout the time stream. So you've got a Captain America that was plucked from just after he had his... his uh, um, crisis of conscience at the end of the secret empire where Nixon blew his brains out right in front of him. You've got a demoralized Captain America that has been plucked for this team. You've got uh, screaming Mimi, who has always been a villain. Mm -hmm. Before she was recycled through the, uh, the Thunderbolts, she's plucked and she's from the Avengers of the future. But she's a hero now. You've got Captain Marvel Genis, who nobody seems to recognize, he's from the future, and people are not comfortable with him. You've got uh, Hank and Jane, Jan and Hank, the Wasp and Giant Man, that are apparently from the same time period brought in, and they know some of the history, but you've also got Yellow Jacket, 
who is also Hank Pym, plucked from just before the wedding when he was introduced. So you've got the same man on the team from two different time periods, one of which when he's a surly, snarly, uncooperative semi-villain, and the other where he's giant man and the hero. So it's like, I don't know how they came up with this team of, uh, of Avengers, but they're really from all over the place, and they each bring their own strengths and weaknesses, and then through the course of this 12-part series, some of them, you know, Cap gets his courage back, he, he finds his feet again, um, you know, it underscores that, that Hank Pym maybe wasn't, in fact, a flawed character, but he may have been influenced by other things. Anyways, it's it's. I can't tell you too much of this without spoiling it, but basically, one of the major points is, hey, the, the, the Human Torch went missing, the original Human Torch went missing, and then came back and was used as the template for the Vision. Until John Byrne got a hold of the story and said, no, 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 the Human Torch has always been separate. So you have these two conflicting major uh, histories of the character, and this miniseries puts them together and says, they're both true. And it's like, what? what? <laughs> yeah. And that's the point, that, that as this evolves, the big reveal is, you can have your cake and eat it too, because we're not going to dismantle either of them. We're going to say both of them are true. And so it's it's an interesting uh, approach and run for it, because about two-thirds of the way through, they finally get to that point in the Avengers history and said, ah, you guys think you know the real history of the Avengers? Let me tell you what's really been going on behind the scenes, because you don't know how much you've been messed with. That's cr that's so, crazy, but it's also smart because uh, the, the the term head cannon, yeah, has, has really you know taken off and really become you know like one of the main words of the comic book readers' lexicon, because they can sit there and choose what they you know want to want, want the history to be. And they they just sit yeah. there and accept the things they want, and then they 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 ignore the things that are, uh, you know, against that uh, that line of thinking. And I mean, and so many people are doing that, not just in comic books, but just in you know, our everyday life. People just sticking with you know one uh, side of media or another, regardless of whether they're telling the truth or not. So, are you familiar with the character of the Space Phantom? Yes, but barely, barely uh, though. Okay, well, originated in the second issue of The Avengers mm -hmm. and periodically pops up but isn't been used a lot. That's the main character, the central narrator, that when they introduce it and he starts laughing, says, so, you think you know what's going on? Wait till you hear how Immortus has been manipulating your history and your time stream. And so for at least an issue, maybe two he relates all these time travel stories that we thought we understood and puts them in order and saying, oh, no, we've been screwing with you guys all along. And it's like everything starts to make sense. It's like things are put in order. It's like, oh, that's why this doesn't line up with that. And this is why 
that makes sense. And this is, no, no, he throws that story out. He says, that was a complete lie. So they, they streamline and they, they organize and they put things together so that you realize this this desperate uh, collection of Avengers that have been plucked from all over time. And obviously, when they're put back in their places, they're not going to have any memory of this. They can't. Otherwise, it really screws things up. But basically, he lays out for them, you know, we've been manipulating you all along. And let me tell you how we did it. And so you're just fascinated as you go through it. You're like, oh, my God, who sat down and thought this all out? Who sat down and made all these connections? And, you know, they must have had a huge list and said, this is in, that's out. This is in, that's out. Sounds sound like something Kurt, really Kurt an incredible could, work. That sounds like something Kurt Busiek could have done. Um, yes. Because, I mean, he's just yeah. that, that type of comic book historian. He knows how it all goes. And he seems to know how to, as a writer, uh, pay respect to both Roy Thomas and John Byrne at the same time yeah. without, you know, really... Yeah straying too far away and I, I i think that's kind of a good thing i i think it's probably good for the readers that you got someone that's sitting there saying yeah we can do this and that way you can sit there and just follow your own head canon that's cool anyway that was that was one thing that i wanted to bring up the other thing and i'm trying to remember how this came up i don't know somebody posted again this was on one of the facebook forums they posted a picture, and I'm trying to think which character it was. The, the point is, she's buxom. Mm -hmm. She has a huge bust. So as we were kind of laughing or joking, being boys being boys about it, somebody posted somewhere else a picture of the actress who's playing the Scarlet Witch. What's her name? Elizabeth Olsen. Yes, Apparently there was a publicity shot of her. I don't know if she has a background in adult films and that's where this photo is from or whether she was, was at the Academy Awards and just wore this dress, but she's like half tumbled out of it. I swear to God, it looks like she's on the red carpet and I don't understand how her top stays up. I just, anyway, it, it kind of, it just kind of blew my mind. It's like, holy crap! I had never seen the actress that revealed, nor had I ever looked at her in that way. But it's like, geez, oh, Pete's. I I don't understand why they cast her if she had this sort of a background. Well, I mean, she'd never done any any adult stuff like that. I mean, she's done her share of movies where she's revealing more but it's never been you know like erotic in nature you know where, where, you, where okay. you're supposed to be seeing any anything like that um she does have a frame that uh, could uh, do well for the scarlet witch though the costume that they gave for her did not really play into those strengths and yeah, i don't I know i don't know if that was her choice or if that was just the choice of them since they're saying you know kids are watching these movies yep Yep, and I agree. I think they made the right call there. But, damn, if you see this publicity photo... Um, Jeez, Kirk, it's like you've never read a modern comic book with the way they just draw those things. That's... 
Yeah, yeah. I, she's positively uh, she's positively Amish compared to what they put out in comics. Yeah, so yeah, because yeah. I mean the the guys that are drawing comic books, and we've seen it before, but a lot of them are using porn actresses for position yeah. and uh, body type and all that. So, Was that in the nineties, or you're saying they're doing it currently? Uh, there's some that are still doing it currently. I, I can't. I can't name yeah. names. I'm not going to name names. So you know, I'm not going to no. sit there and, and start a like a Google search uh, thing from all of from like our the listeners. Last Thirty years. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's it's something that I mean, you know, a lot of them do because they they're trying to find that 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 that, that perfect female form, and uh, they're trying to get it from positions that you know uh, the readers are you know looking for and craving for. But there's been a lot of pushback on it within the last several years um especially when it's in mainstream books like the spider-man books uh you know they were they were basically getting a lot of guff for the way that they were drawing you know uh, mary jane or gwen stacy or you know other characters and and the the artists have come back and just kind of toned it down um i remember the the controversy over spider woman oh yeah that was and that was a definite porn uh, couple of covers that they say that's not natural. Nobody could stand that way, or nobody could could possibly position themselves that well, way. Well, no, they, they, it's re- possible, but they're just positioning themselves for one thing in particular. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, well, if you, if you <laughs> it came up, it comes up periodically now on the Jack Kirby uh, forums. But if you look back all the way back to Fantastic Four twenty two. And 27, just to name two of them that I happen to own that I'm aware of, there are at least two images of Sue Storm that they've been able to reference to the, uh, what's the word that I want? Not girly magazines of the time period. So in other words, looking at Sue Storm as she appears in the Fantastic Four, somebody has cross-referenced and gone, hey, I found the picture that Jack Kirby used as his inspiration, and there's no question, there is no question that is the exact position and drawing he had to have had it in his what do you want to call it, in his dungeon in his artist studio as a reference. Yeah, it must have been laying there. Now what he's talking about uh, from Fantastic Four 22, the opening splash page has Sea yes. Storm standing uh, straight up and she's got her arms up above her head as Reed has put some met, you know encephalo device up there, a real Kirby Tech uh, kind of helmet with uh, all sorts of techy stuff on it, and her yeah high tech hair dryer. Yeah, and I her think. pose is straight out of a Vargas painting, I think. Yeah, and they had highlighted this on the Comic Swipes forum in Facebook. Now, if if, if yeah. y'all aren't a part of that group, it's a great one to be in because uh, they'll sit there and they they like to find comic book images that are done. You know, something could be any something recent, or it could be something old, and they'll find the original inspiration for it. And uh, it's funny because every now and then someone will throw Supergirl, uh, I mean Superman holding Supergirl from Crisis, and then they show Cyclops carrying Jean from the X Men, which was done right. several years before, and nobody, nobody ever shows La Piata, which is the inspiration uh... for all that. Or they don't show the, yeah. the the Thor issue where Odin's holding Thor the same way, which was done twenty years before all this stuff. 
So it's, right. it's, 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 you know, but I mean, it's, it's great, you know, to see all these people catching all this stuff after all these years. And it's funny because people sit there and throw something out. Uh, one that just happened real recently was uh, people keep uh, aping the John Byrne image from She-Hulk where She-Hulk's standing at the street corner and a guy is looking at her and he's got you know his lips pursed like he's about to whistle and his girlfriend is looking at him disapprovingly. And Oh, yeah. Yeah, and there's a picture uh, out there that has it where there's an actual guy, girl, and another girl walking by, and the guy's looking back. Right. And I'd always thought that the burn one was the original, and it turns out it's not. The original came from a 1964 issue of Archie Comics. Really? And it's Veronica, you know, and Archie sitting there, and there's a blonde girl walking by, and Archie is looking at her frame, and... Uh, I was sitting there, and I went back to the burn image, and sure enough, the guy has red hair. The girl has black hair. Got to go look up at that one. I have not heard of that yeah. one before. Yeah, that was an interesting surprise. I didn't I didn't realize that Byrne had, had done it. And again, no one has approached Byrne to ask him if he aped that, but it just seems a little on the nose with the hair color. Oh, I'm, I feel certain that he did. Yeah. And he usually is very good about crediting those things. He's very good about about putting a notation that says this is after Kirby or this is, you know, wherever it is. I can't believe that he would not have done that if he was aping it. Again, you know, I don't know. And, and again, I don't know how many people have done it over the years. I thought that Byrne was the one that originated that and that all the other ones were just aping him. So, I mean, it's, it's just funny because that image actually... That page actually went up for auction at Heritage Auctions recently. Really? Yeah. So yeah, if you look through comic books life, you probably have to scroll away down, but it's it's there. That's a it's a fun group to be in. And yeah, the, it is. the the admins have been pretty good about keeping the arguments to a low ebb, that there's no point in arguing, you know, having arguments that, you know, go in the direction these people take them. So uh, I mean and the Facebook groups are, are getting kind of crazy. Uh there are a couple out there that uh, the bots have gotten into and are just spam posting uh, ridiculous things. Unfortunately, one of one of the the forums that we post into, the Genius of John Byrne, uh, yeah. it, it is now the guy that runs it, uh, Craig. Um, I can't remember his last name all of a sudden, but uh, he's you know he's a busy guy. He's got a job. Um, and so he doesn't sit there and just get on the page every hour. Craig Hepburn is the guy that runs that, that particular one. And he, again, he gets on there whenever he can, but he's just not on there all the time. And so you'll see posts for a, uh, a, a you know, how to get a job workshop. But they post as a picture the X-Men fighting the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Like, like oh, that's relevant, but it's not, you know. And so... Uh, that that group gets hit for a lot of things, but man, people post some of the coolest stuff in there that you don't see in the other burn groups. Uh, so, like even Stephen Wilcox, who runs the Burn Victims Forum, he's a member of that forum as well. But and people have been complaining a lot about it. But you know, Craig's doing just as, as good as he can. I, I I don't fault him. I just go in there and whenever I see one of those, I'll report it. 
Now, if you, if you report something in Facebook, don't report it to the group admins. Report it to Facebook because they'll put it, you know, if they see that user, if they see a certain group of users doing these things, they'll start filtering them out so that they can't even get posted. Good. Yeah. So and Facebook's working pretty hard about getting that kind of stuff taken out because it's just filling up and filling up. So hopefully uh, we'll see some changes there. But, uh, yeah, that's, uh, again, going back to comic swipes, uh, it's a good forum to see stuff like that. And you'll every now and then you'll get a real surprise shocker of something, you know, like what, what Kirk was talking there. Now, you said it was issue 22 and then 27? Yes, 27, the search for the Submariner or, or something like that. But that's the same thing. It's the splash page image has been taken directly from... I want to say it's Playboy. Um, yeah, because it, they found it the, looks like a Mar- they found Marilyn Monroe uh, pose, wasn't it? I can't remember now, but it, it's it's if you're not familiar with the splash page, Reed is working on one of his helmets, his thought not thought inducer, but uh, his encephalo image. That's the same thing he used so against Gladiator. That's of, the same helmet he used against Gladiator in uh, 250. Okay. So it's it's a known quantity. Right. He, whatever you're thinking about, it's projected. And so he's thinking of Sue in a bathing suit. A green leopard <clears throat> and, skin bathing you know, suit. She's a little embarrassed, and, and you know, he's a, not really embarrassed about it. But the, the pose of her in the bathing suit is a, a nude photo of some other actress or some other model from Playboy. They found the exact image. And there is no question about it, that, that that was the inspiration. So you can read this, the comic book, and it's like, doesn't make any difference to you. You go right sailing right on past it. But the fact that they've been able to, to dig these things out and go, holy crap, here it is. This had to have been his inspiration or what he used as his template for this. Uh, I just find that amazing that they're able to come up with that. Well, you know, I'll say this. I... Um Every now and then, I, I would sit there and see one, and I go, man, this has to have been inspired by something else. And uh, I'll use it as an example. You know the cover of Fantastic Four 249, which is the infamous cover where Gladiator's standing there. He's got thing he's holding over his head, and Mr. Fantastic's strewn about on one side, Visible Girl, another yes. side, Johnny, you know, behind him. And then, of course, he did that Superman number 10 cover where Superman's standing there holding yeah. the Legion of Superheroes. Block... In the same like position, the thing, you know, one hand, Brainiac Five, who's the brain, is right there being held up front, just like Mister Fantastic. Sun Boy, who's the fire guy, on one side, and Invisible Kid, uh, in the Sue Storm part, another page. And you know, of course, people love that. They they thought, okay, that's really cool, and it's been aped a million times. I found an issue of Legion of Superheroes from the '60s where it was virtually the same kind of pose and the same kind of characters. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. And I showed it to people, and they're like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. I mean, it's not exactly the same. It is not. But it is close enough that you can think that it might have been an influence. But, yes. but I asked Byrne, and he's like, well, considering the fact that I hate the Legion, I can't say I ever did that. And I'll kill. Uh, doesn't mean he hasn't seen it. And you know, I, I get kind of frustrated with people who, 
it, it not you brian but i mean it seems like especially online people are like oh how dare they copy this and ape it and and they make so much fun and how dare they do it without crediting uh this person and i'm like you know this stuff is a million times done and burn has copied and used other things to influence his poses and the things he does and he doesn't put in there on the bottom of the thing after so and so i mean oh he does though sometimes not, sometimes not, not in the comics not when he was drawing books you don't see that stuff all over there and sometimes you do sometimes you don't i just think it's disingenuous to say, oh, these people are copying these others, when that's that's all that's been done throughout the history of comic books is you're influenced by how other artists do it, and they're mentors, or they influence you, or you like something and you you use it, and it's I I just I'm a little I, I just don't think that the criticism and the hate that goes on about that so often is justified. Well, and, and you're right to a point. Because there are guys that do it that it's strictly an homage. But unfortunately, there are other artists out there that every drawing in their book is a swipe of something another artist has done just so they can have that pose, that page, whatever in there, where they're using that as the reference or they're just lightboxing it themselves <coughs> instead of creating an original piece of art. Um. When when Byrne or Perez, uh, you know, or, or you know the other guys out there, Grell sit there and they do an homage to somebody else. It's an homage. You you know it's an homage. They're like, yes, look, I'm doing just like Kirby did, or just like so and so did, you know, or like Grell did, or like Adams did. And when these other guys, these newer guys, are coming out and they're doing this, they're not sitting there saying I'm doing an homage to this or that. They're just saying they're just doing that because. They're not thinking of a. They got to get the book done. Yeah, they got to get the book done, and so it's easier to do something by reference than to create a whole new image in your head. John, do you remember the uh, the Invader story in in um, Namor the Submariner? Is it eleven? Dark Nativity. Uh huh. Yeah. One one uh, of those three issues. If I I can't recall if it's that issue, but it's that time period. I was tickled to death to see John Byrne draw. Um, I believe he was recreating the fight from Avengers number three between the uh, Submariner and and the Avengers. Anyway, the the point is he took layouts from John Byrne where the characters were in very distinctive positions, giant man reaching up to grab an air raid siren horn or something, but it, it spoke to me. I went... Oh, I know this scene. I've seen it before. So I got my Marvel Masterworks out, and I opened it up to Avengers 3, and I had the Namor issue next to it, and it was very, very clear that he had taken images from three separate panels and brought them together to assemble and retell the the recap of what had happened very quickly and very succinctly. And I, I don't knock him for doing that. Instead, I praise him. It's like... How brilliant. He used the layout, the exact images of the original story in a very quick original collage that references the original story beautifully. And then he goes on and tells the rest of his story. So it's, you know, he it is a flashback, 
And it works so well because the old reader remembers it and goes, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Uh, and it almost works on a subliminal level. Um, you know what I'm talking about? I should probably scan one and post it online so people know what I'm talking about. But you know. Yeah, I can't recall it exactly, but, um, you know, someone might say that he swiped that and... So that that's what I'm saying, you know, it's like, no, you use things to be influenced. Now, Brian, to your point, if someone's lightboxing something or tracing over something, that's a whole different thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know Gary Frank right. got a lot of flack because that's what people accused him of doing was taking photos and then drawing over them and uh, using them for that. And that's true. But I think when someone I mean, I mean, come on. You know, the pose of Cyclops holding Phoenix, that's a swipe, yep. <laughs> if you want to be that nitpicky about it, because that's the Pieta, yeah. and that's been done a hundred times before, but no one ever complains about that. Well, it's um, like Alex Ross. I mean, Marvels was basically an homage book. That's really what it was. It was designed yeah. to be that, and so virtually every image was... Uh, you know, taken from something else that we'd seen. Yes. It, but it was the actual thing. Yeah. It was just giving homage to it all. And it was, it's such, you know, what it was was so great. It's so acceptable and universally pretty much loved as as the, the, the example of doing it right. But, you know, when, when guys are doing, you know, like, you know, like I say, the light boxing or the, you know, they're basically using that as their, as their reference uh, for virtually every image they draw, that's that's just wrong. But yeah, that's what got Rich Buckler in trouble, right? I don't know about that. I don't. I don't know. You'd have to ask Scott Gardner, I guess, because he's the the Rich Buckler uh, expert, as far as I know. But uh, I didn't know of Rich Buckler doing anything that's, uh, you know, not. Uh, but I mean, again, you know, I mean, did, what, what is it? Was it Wally Wood that said, you know, the, you know, borrow, homage or steal anything you can? <laughs> I don't, I, I don't remember the actual quote specifically, but uh, yeah, you're gonna steal, steal from the best. Yeah, well, there's that too. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, art is a game where you know you're working with visual imagery and. It's so hard to come up with that inspiration for a new image when so many have been done. And I, 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 it's it's funny. I was I was playing poker with some friends last night, and my style of poker, you know, it's of course it it depends on what cards are laid before me. But I'm sitting there. Okay, as soon as I look at my cards. I've got the creative wheels turning to sit there and say, okay, how am I going to structure my betting? How am I going to do this to you know, create a story for these guys that I'm trying to do one thing when I'm actually trying to do something else? And I, I can imagine the artist you know, getting down to his paper and going, okay, I want to create this kind of story. I want to start it from here. What kind of imagery? Where am I going to put the camera? How am I going to do this? And it's so much thought and everything has to go into it. And, and we got a master class on that from John Byrne when he was doing Elswin because we could see the grid lines. We could see, and he talked about, yeah. you know, all the things that went into creating every one of those things. And I don't believe that in his Elswin run that he did any homages or swipes at all. I think it was all just original out of his head. But he 
I think by the 32nd issue, he got to the point where he, he's like, okay, I'll start like this. No, no, I've done that before. I'll start like this. No, no, I've done that before. I'll start like this. And he goes, you know, I just don't have the inspiration anymore. And he just said, it's it's not fun. I don't, I don't feel the inspiration to do it because I don't feel like anything's new anymore. How many more issues of uh, Elsewhere do we have to cover? Yeah, uh, four, I think. So about two more shows yeah, worth. Yeah. Well, listen, folks, it's been about two hours now. Mm-hmm. My timer is about to go off. Yeah. And I want to get something to eat. I'm starving. But uh, I really appreciate you, you guys getting on. And, John, I hope you enjoyed what coffee you did drink. Uh, oh, I did. Yeah, yes, absolutely. My, my dude did did what it was supposed to do, and it got me pumped up and ready to go. So I uh, now just ready to tackle the day. Tackle the day and try and get nothing done because it's Sunday <laughs> and you don't do anything on Sunday. But then I'll probably have to go help my dad with his computer. But, hey, you know, still, it's good to see <laughs> my dad. Uh John, you got anything you want to? Is there anything coming up that you wanted to, to mention before we uh, drop? Any? No, I don't think so. I'm looking forward to. Uh, oh, oh, you know, Mayfair Witches started. Uh, Anne Rice's Mayfair Witches and the interview with the vampire vein. We just started watching that, and uh, looking forward to see how that plays out. Excellent. What did you? What do you think of Interview with the Vampire? Oh, I liked it a lot. It was a very good, very good um, restructuring of the story. Yeah. And up, kind of updating it in a way and uh, reworking it, and uh, so I really enjoyed it. it was very I interesting. Think the, the, the reworking so. actually of, of those certain motivations of the characters, I think it makes more sense in the modern yeah, realm. Yeah, when does. you look at the the Tom Cruise Brad Pitt interview with the vampire, the they didn't go far enough to make it work as far as those character motivations go in my mind. Yeah, this was this was really interesting. It was really good. So we're looking forward to seeing how this other and apparently it's in the same universe. So um, it's all connected and interconnected, and it'll be it'll be interesting. Yeah, they're calling it the Immortals Universe. Hmm. Okay. On HBO. So <laughs> so that's what we're working on. Otherwise, looking forward to a wonderful year in 2023. Reading some some books, revisiting books. Uh, that I've read before and books that I haven't read because I haven't read everything, John Byrne. I'm not like you, Brian, that has an encyclopedia knowledge and has read everything. <laughs> but I haven't read everything. Uh, and the thing is, like, I haven't read Jack Kirby's Fourth World. And that's something I want to tackle this year. Uh, and, um, okay. it, you know, with the, the changes that we're making in, in, in the shows that we're going to be doing over the next few months – and we haven't really told anybody about this because we still haven't you know, ironed out exactly what we're doing. But you're going to see shows with uh, a fewer of us on them. Uh, you're probably going to see shows where there's only going to be two speakers um, together to talk about particular books and such. So it's going to be kind of a throwback to the original format. But at the same, in the same time, there are going to be two people that aren't typically thrown together at the same time. And we'll mm-hmm. be having uh, in in that mix also my son Christopher will be joining along. Uh, and for those of you that uh, are aware or are not aware, my son has decided the future that he wants to follow into uh, the area that he wants to work as he uh, you know, gets into adulthood. He wants to be a movie director. Ooh, wow! Oh, he's him. been writing what what he says is the the perfect superman story for his age oh and and so he's like 
sitting there seeing that, you know, he's afraid of what James Gunn is going to do because James Gunn's got an eight-year plan now at DC of, 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 the, of, the, of the movie universe that he's going to create. And what is he going to do with that Superman character? How is he going to represent him? And, what, and, and Chris would have to adjust what he does if he ever were to get up to that plateau to be able to do it. Really? But I told him... Tell him not to worry about that because... As we can see, they can wipe it all away with the brush of brush of a pen, and start something new. Yeah, so. but you don't you don't want to be like um, the Mark Mark was it Mark Stephen Johnson? Is that the guy that did the the Amazing Spider Man movies? Because they, when they did the Tobey Maguire movies, they did three movies: two really good, one kind of okay, and then they they just threw that aside. They had a fourth one planned. But they threw that aside and did the the movies with Andrew Garfield. And while those movies were not bad, well, the first one was good. The second one, but while they, they shouldn't have been made when they were made, they shouldn't have reimagined the the uh, Spider-Man origin. They shouldn't have, you know, done done no. what they did. And and because they did it when they did it, and they, the way the way that they did it. They got a smaller audience. Those movies were never as successful as the Raimi ones. Yeah, but look, in the last ten years, we've had three actors play Superman. Yep. Ralph, uh, Tyler Hecklin, and Henry Cavill, and now somebody different. So I'm just saying he can write to that, mm-hmm. but don't be afraid because things are just going to change when they change to whatever they do and look at how many batman we've had in the last 30 years i mean it's like every other film is a different actor playing batman so well he um, says he's he's you know inspired by the better parts of uh, of um what do you call it uh all-star superman yeah. Oh, and I, I I neglected um Tom Welling, Tom and Welling, and Dean Cain, Dean Cain, yeah. and Dean Cain. Yep. So we've had, you know, I mean, you know, so I I just think there's a lot of different ways to to approach it. And you know, it's funny. Um, this guy has an eight year plan, uh, for DC movies. It's like, um, does he not notice that superhero films are kind of like tired now? <laughs> Well, I, and, and I think that that will motivate. I mean, because right now, uh, you know, Warner's is trying to save as much money as they can. They're not. They're they're trying to find ways of of holding money back. That's why Batgirl got canned. You know, because just financially, it was less risky to just can it. Yeah, it's the Warner version of the DC implosion. Yeah, and but I mean, it, yeah, but yeah, it's Warner's that makes the decisions ultimately. You know of where the yep. money goes, and I I know there's been a lot of change and stuff, so I don't know how relevant they are anymore to the to you know what James Gunn is doing, and I don't know how much control James Gunn actually has. So we'll see. It will be interesting to see how it goes for sure. Kirk, you got anything yeah. that uh, you wanted to point out for people to watch, read, talk about? Do you have any other shows that you're going to be doing soon? Are we going to see some more Atlantis attacks or or uh, anything? Or did Kirk already drop? I still see he's muted. Sorry, Sorry. my family is calling. I've got to go. Okay. All right. All right. We'll see you next show. Thank you. Have fun. This is Brian Hughes saying goodbye for John Hyatt and Kurt Greenfield. Uh, Look for us out there in Third Degree Burn Forum on Facebook. You can uh, email us at gotta get burned at gmail.com 
or you can write us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts, formerly iTunes, five-star review, raises our profile so more people learn about us. We'd love to have you give us a nice review, and we'll read it on air. Or if you send, and you get to get you get to get a pick a book that we 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 yeah. Read. If you if you choose a book, we may actually pull you onto the show if you're so inclined. All right. Well, mm-hmm. hey, John. Thanks, Kirk. Thanks. You guys right. have a, have a great week, and uh, we'll be talking soon. You too, Prepare Brian. To be burned. I'm Brian Hughes. Bye bye. And John Hyatt. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn.